Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon. Lord, as we sit here and we hear our young folk joining in song through in the hall, we do thank you for the gift of praise. We remember what your word tells us, Lord, our God, our Redeemer, that you inhabit the praises of your people. And so we pray that whether it's through in the hall with park kids or here, we would know a very real sense of your presence in our midst. Because, Lord, we're here to hear you speak to us, young and old alike, perhaps in different ways, but young and old alike, we're here as a family to hear from you, our Father in heaven, and to grow into the likeness of Jesus Christ, our elder brother. And so, Holy Spirit, Come amongst us now and continue to speak through the Word of God. Give us ears to hear and hearts and minds open and ready to respond to all that you want to say to us. And we ask for that with faith and with trust in Jesus' name. Amen. When uh, a pastor or teacher or minister, whatever you want to call them, um, turns to maybe preparing a sermon, especially if they have been doing it for a, a wee while. They, and this is something that someday, and he goes into some form of teaching and preaching ministry, he will, he will know this. You, you, one of your first places that you go to after obviously prayerfully thinking about it, uh, at least in my case, is the filing cabinet. I suppose in, in future times it'll be onto the computer, to what you have stored in the computer. But I have my filing cabinet, and inside this filing cabinet are sermons from the last 20 seven and a half years. Not all of them. Some of them were so bad they got shredded and torn away, thrown away years ago. Um, and some of them now, to be honest, you know, were talks to the gold in 1994 and came your Mount I think, why did I keep that? You know, not like, but anyway, however, some of the things I've kept, but, but, but I have kept, uh, and, and, and John, who's here this morning, be the same John Aiken, that you, you look back, and, and I look back to sermons that I had written on the book of Ephesians, um, in 2004. Who can remember them? Well, I couldn't either. So there you are. So don't worry. And, and I look back, and I look back at the one, I was, and I was looking at the one to do with the passage that we're reading this morning. And can I just read the introduction to the sermon 13 years ago? It was actually February 2004. So, yeah, I'm not very impressed with my final system, you know. <laughs> well, no, no, no. It just so happens it was connected with an intimation sheet the other day. Oh, no, that's why I know. Um, but anyway, let me read to this. This is what I put down in my text for the introduction. Refer to the ongoing tragic events in Iraq over this past week and the many civilian casualties. See the report that this is an attempt by Al-Qaeda to store up religious, or to stir up rather, religious and tribal tensions and precipitate a civil war. See ongoing strife throughout the world, e.g. Yugoslavia, Nepal, the Philippines, Peru, Central America, Israel, and Northern Ireland. Great evidence of tensions and violence between peoples for various reasons, but one of them being a sense of being alienated from their fellow humans 
and from the society of which they, at least officially, are meant to be a part of. That was written 13 years ago. Now, Yugoslavia doesn't exist anymore. It didn't really exist in 2004 either. Um, Serbia and Montenegro were all that remained. The former, in fact, used to see that in, um, oh, what's the music competition? Yes, and it would come up, FYR, former Yugoslav Republic. Um, just recently, I've heard that um, Russia, which has a seat, of course, in the Security Council of the United Nations, is refusing to allow Montenegro to be recognized by the UN as a separate country because Serbia doesn't want it to be recognized by a separate country, so Russia's refusing to allow it to be recognized as a separate country. So Yugoslavia. Nepal, we don't hear much about Nepal, but if you did, you'll know that there's this ongoing civil war there trouble there. Philippines, well, they've got, uh, well, I suppose he's a, he's a strong man who's in charge of the Philippines, and his way of dealing with the drugs problem is you shoot them. Peru, well, maybe not Peru, but some of you know the terrible trouble there now is in Central America with the thousands, tens of thousands of refugees who are trying to get into the United States and don't get into further north, so they're stuck in countries like Costa Rica. Israel, Northern Ireland, have things changed? No. You know, it's one of the greatest fallacies, indeed one of the greatest lies, that have been perpetrated down through the ages, but particularly over the last 100, 150 years, 200 years perhaps, 150 years, by what would be known as the liberal elite. Don't worry, I'm not Donald Trump's fan, but never mind. What might be known as the liberal elite, that actually, if we only pull together and work together, then all these big problems that we have are going to get sorted out. That, if, that, that actually we've got, we, fundamentally, we, we've got so much in common with each other that actually, you know, it's, it, it's a relatively easy thing to focus together, to pull together. You have focus groups to help you do that. You have people who are in power or in positions of influence in the media or in politics or in education to help you to, to find out what that common thing is that's meant to draw us together and to cause us to be focused on the great project, whatever that great project is. And yet, the last 100, 150 years has seen untold strife and war and injustice, and insecurity, and division, and tension, and, 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 and an obvious discrepancy between those who have and those who have not. That if I was to ask you this morning, obviously as Christian people, you know, you're, you're thinking these things. If I was to ask you this morning, is the world a better place. All right, materially it's better. Materially we're better. We're better. A lot of people in the world aren't. But, but is the world a better place in terms of peace and harmony than it was 30 years ago? Or No. We remember the words of Jesus when he said that there would be those who would go about shouting, peace, peace. And he then said, peace, peace, where there is no peace. What is the cause of that problem? Because people have spent much effort, much time, much energy, often much money, in trying to pull things together. And yet so often as things get pulled together, almost as quickly, they start to fall apart again. 
as someone who in the past had some involvement with people who were going through family reconciliation. I remember being in situations like that, and there was all this, from the reconciler, from the professional, all this talk about how, you know, if you only look at each other's viewpoints and consider this and consider that, then you're going to be able to pull together and everything else. And I remember standing outside the door of the place, and help my goodness, we went even the car before it all fell apart. Well, listen to what God's Word says to us. Let's turn on our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, and reading from verse 11. Ephesians chapter 2, and reading from verse 11. And Paul writes there, Therefore, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised, by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We saw last Sunday, didn't we, that Paul, Dr. Paul, though really it's Dr. Luke in the New Testament, but Paul um, had a very analytical mind. He, he, he maybe well, could well have been a, a good surgeon or a good doctor because he, he cuts through to the, the meat of the matter. And we saw last Sunday that as he was writing to, to the church, and then but he's writing to the church. The church is made up of Jewish people and non-Jewish people, the Gentile people. A church which is growing, a church which is seeing a lot of you folk coming in, uh, a church which, where Paul spent much time, three years or thereabouts, ministering there, a church that had known manifest experiences of the Spirit working through them. As he's writing to that church, we saw last Sunday that he wanted to remind the members of that church uh, of just the, the real plight that they would have been in without the grace of Christ, and the real plight that the rest of the city of Ephesus, and indeed the world is in, he says at the beginning of chapter 2, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live, when you followed the ways of this world, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, and following its desires and thoughts like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath are objects of God's wrath. And Paul lays a very stark thing. I know and one or two of you spoke to me last Sunday after the service and said how they had been spoken to and, 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 and stirred. And I could see in the faces of folks that you were stirred as, as you thought of loved ones who don't know Christ. But also as you thought just seriously of the, of the, of the critical human condition that exists in our world. A human condition that no amount of well-meaning politicians can do anything about. A human condition that no other great faith of the world ultimately can do anything about. A human condition that no philosophy or theory, however well-meaning, however fine-sounding it may be, can do anything about. A human condition that no dictator can ultimately deal with or eradicate. They may outwardly folks force folk to conform to a particular thing, but they can't deal with issues of the human heart, nor can any well-meaning, nice, kind, generous, humanist 
do anything about it. It's a human condition which is serious and which is fatal, and it leaves all of us separated from God. And the problem is sin and the big I that stands at the center of sin. And we made reference last Sunday to our passages that we've often referred back to, the book of Genesis and the story there, and of the consequence of human beings wanting to be like God. The ultimate, because sin really in many ways manifests as pride, and we want to be, we want to be the king of the castle. We want to do it our way. We thought we knew better than the creator. And the consequence of that was that we were removed from his immediate presence. We were, we were taken out of the Garden of Eden. We are now, as Paul says in the verses I read just a few minutes ago, we are now strangers alienated from God in that lost place. And the picture of the archangel standing at the gate, in a sense, or the doorway into the, the Garden of Eden with the flaming swords to emphasize how there is that gulf between a holy God who's pure and who cannot countenance sin, and indeed whose anger burns against iniquity, and the human race of which once, as Paul says, we were all a part of. And the story of Genesis moves on. And right there, after everything that's happened, what do we read in Genesis chapter 4? The first murder. The sign of that alienation. The sign of that fallen state. The sign of that enmity which now exists between God and humanity is that we are no longer one with each other. We already saw that in the garden where they began to blame each other. It wasn't me, it was her. It wasn't her, it was the snake, you know, pointing the finger, putting the blame elsewhere, hiding away, naked and ashamed, and now filled with envy and jealousy. And how can he, you know, well, not having that. And the Bible makes it clear that that fracture in a relationship with God means therefore that we live in a fractured relationship with each other. And that was obviously the situation in these verses from Ephesians. Paul here talks about the uncircumcised and the circumcised. Now, without going into all the nitty-gritty details of all that, um, what he's thinking about there is basically the Jewish members of the church those who had come to believe in Jesus as the Messiah, and the Gentile, the non-Jewish members of the church who had come to believe in Jesus as the Messiah, and, and, and within the church. And you can actually imagine that here. Just imagine, just imagine, and pray that this would happen, that suddenly, by God's grace and God's mercy, a number of folks started coming to the church. And, and say, for instance, they were covered practically from head to foot, as you can be nowadays, in tattoos. Or say, for instance, that one of the man or woman was known in the community as being a prostitute. The wee light was in the door down Calibre or Cal Park. Or they had been convicted of some heinous crime against their parents or against their child. Or they were known to have maybe one money in the lottery, but then blow it. And now we're up in the uppers and we're having to sign on in the brew in Hamilton. And they started coming to the church. And the majority of us, the majority of us, well, we've come to faith, but 
we were brought up in the church, so we find it hard to think of a time when we didn't believe in God, when, when the name of Jesus wasn't important to us. And here's somebody who, who only use of the name of Jesus until he started, or she started coming to church was as a swear word. And while, thank God, not many of us dress up to come to the church nowadays, particularly, we do dress, but we don't, you know, um, they certainly don't. They dress down. It's only January, but wearing shorts and flip-flops and a t-shirt that says, dear knows what. Not the one nice one we saw earlier. They just don't look the same. And it's lovely to see them. Do you get the point? That's what was happening in the church in Ephesus. But you see, the Jewish believers, on the whole, would have lived reasonably. You know, they, 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 they knew the Word of God. They'd heard of the law. They were aware of God. The promises pointed towards a Messiah. They lived reasonably moral lives, at least outwardly so. You know, they didn't go about, you know, breaking the commandments before breakfast, you know. And yet now there were people in the church and who... I mean, the Ephesus, like Corn, like all these cities of the Roman Empire, were, were, you know, I mean, one week you were in the temple of Diana, you know, carrying out your act of worship, which was to sleep with one of the temple prostitutes, and next to it you're sitting in the kirk. Uh, uh, you know, it's quite a, a, a... And tensions were being involved. And people were starting to kind of, you know, and Paul's, what Paul's saying here is, that these tensions, those divisions, and that plight of the human heart, look how he describes it. You were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship of Israel, foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. Paul here is saying, look, there's no reason for anybody, Jew or Gentile, to get cocky. Because you see, the opposite can also happen. I was at a meeting, it's a few years ago now, and it was held in it was held in the ICC um, before it shut. Um, and it's the only time I've ever been in a meeting where the, the senior staff, member of the of the staff, the vice principal, came down at lunchtime and handed out a, a handout, quite a lengthy handout, which was in complete disagreement with the speaker who'd just been speaking for the last two hours. He obviously wasn't happy. It was a guy from the emerging church and all that sort of stuff. I mean, some of you know where that is, some of you doesn't. It doesn't really matter. Uh, we, we, we broke into groups, and there was myself. There was a Methodist, and I think there was a Baptist. And then there was these other younger people, I have to say, who were all from these new types of churches. They weren't all like this. But I remember one guy very heatedly pointing the finger at me, the Methodist, and, the, you know, and said, you folk, and he said, you folk, he said, you're the reason why heaven's in the mess it is. He said, you, 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 you've just you know, completely denied and destroyed what the church is meant to be. And I can't remember how he said it, basically, we've got it sewn up, we're right. Alienation. Enmity. Arrogance. Pride. I'm the king of the castle. And the rest of you are dirty wee rascals. Don't think you meant to sing that nowadays, are you? When in truth, apart from Christ, we are all in a serious place. 
And lastly, in this wee section, you can see why Martin Lloyd-Jones took eight years to do Ephesians. Uh, notice what he says. He says to Gentiles, but he's thinking of the Gentiles. Now, we're sitting in church this morning. Are any of you Jewish? Well, by birth. Notice I'm not asking whether any of the men are circumcised or not. We'll not go down that road. Uh, are any of you Jewish? Well, not that you know of. Well, we shouldn't be here. We shouldn't be here. God's covenant was with Israel, with the Jewish people. They were the one called by God. They were the one separated. They were the one given the land of promise. They were the one given the law. They were the one given the prophets. And oh, and by the way, um, have you ever realized Jewish wasn't a blonde-haired Aryan? He was probably a dark-haired. He was also a Jew. And it's only because of the grace of God, as he said earlier on in chapter 2, it's only because of the grace of God and the mercy of God, of the kindness of God, that as he tells us in Romans, he's taken us Gentiles and grafted us onto the tree, onto the vine that is to be the people of God. The vine was the symbol of Israel. And Jesus, the true vine, has taken Gentiles, those who were excluded from the citizenship of Israel, those who were out with the people of promise, those who knew nothing of the law, and brought us into that relationship and that people. And that, as he mentions later on, that citizenship of that kingdom. And not one of us, unless we're a Jew, has any claim, a right of claim, to being a child of the living God, apart from what God has done in Jesus Christ. And that's true for me, brought up in a nice home, knowing about Jesus and going about the church. That's true of me as much as the punter outside those doors. Let's sing together as we reflect about that. Above the voices of the world around me, my hopes and dreams, my cares and loves and fears, the long-awaited call of Christ has found me. The voice of Jesus echoes in my ears and will stand. Well, what a blessing it is to my own soul. Anyway, I hope it's a blessing to others of us as we hear the praises of God's people. I was never very good at grammar at school and parsing. Do you remember what parsing was? I said that to a group of young folks the other day and they all just looked at me. It was to take a sentence, you had to split it up into different parts. I went from what was in its day in the 1960s, quite a modern primary school in halfway, Campus Lang, not very far. I haven't moved very far, have I? Um, and I went to Burnside, which was very posh. And I've told you before that I had ink wells. And once a week, we've got writing with ink. You know, that's that liquid stuff that goes, you know, that kind of... <laughs> And, and, and I was hopeless at that, and I was hopeless. First aid in English, tell you I was needing first aid after the teacher dealt with me because I couldn't pars that. I mean, it was terrible. You think about that, each and I had to go up and complain to the school um, because I didn't have a clue. I'm a bit dyslexic, as you know, by my spelling and my intimation sheet. So, uh, but even I know that when, when, and when it's, and it is in the original, though, I wouldn't even try to read the Greek to you. And when it says in verse 11, therefore, and when it says in verse 13, but... 
That's not just there because, well, the scribe couldn't think of what, you know, to how to fill things or connect things together. Therefore, it's important. What we've just said last week, therefore, here's the consequences. That alienation, that separation. But, but, but's also, you, uh, when a wee boy used to say but at the end of sentence, you don't say but. No? Well, here's the beginning, and it's, I've got a point. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with his commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Here's, here's the answer. Here's the answer to why, the, you know, how do, we, how do we deal with the divisions in the world? How do we bring peace, lasting peace, to Northern Ireland? How do we deal with a situation in countries where people racially or religious-wise are at each other's throats? And we've seen so much over the last few years of the bloody inhumanity of man to man. How do we deal with that? Well, of course, of course we need to support those who are peacemakers who seek to go. Of course we need to support those who are trying to bring reconciliation for a season. But my friends, as God's people, as people who through Jesus Christ now are the people of God, the children of the promise, who are now citizens of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, this is the answer to the world's problems. Jesus Christ, and that's not some cliché. For that's what Paul is saying here. He has broken down the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with his commands and regulations. He perfectly fulfilled the law. And his purpose was to create in himself one new, one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. Some of you have heard there was NATO was meeting this past week, and well, on the NATO side, we were being chivied up. Well, not Britain because we do it, but but the representative from the United States was chiving up the other countries to pay more. And I was listening to a comment on the radio, and actually, for the first time for a long time, I heard the word rearmament. Now, some of you who are old enough will remember that rearmament, 1950s. We've got to get our arm. Why? Because we don't trust the Ruskies. And in 2017, do we trust the Ruskies? And then you had the Russian foreign minister saying, well, this is all a relic of the Cold War. If you just got rid of this, then, you know, we'd all could be friends. Not if you're living in Estonia or Lithuania or Latvia or in eastern Ukraine. And what kept the peace during the Cold War? And I'm old enough to at least remember some of it. Both sides had, what was it known as? Mad. What was it? Mutually assured destruction. Basically, you try anything, well, we'll get in quick, and you'll be zapping, you'll be zapping, well, nobody will be a winner. 
And indeed, interesting enough, one of the, the main missiles in the United States had Minuteman missiles, which I believe are still there, although indeed they're getting dusted down and re revamped at the present time in the United States. And you know what they were known as? Peace makers. Peace brought about by the fear of destruction. But our peacemaker made peace between a fractured humanity and between a holy God and a sinful humanity by being on the cross. As Paul says to Colossians, he has made peace with God through shedding blood on the cross. He is the great peacemaker. He entered into that place of judgment. He took upon himself the sins of the world. Behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. He cried out as that perfect relationship in the mystery of the Godhead that is the Trinity, as that relationship. No wonder the place grew dark. No wonder, no wonder the earth shook. No wonder the whole of the universe, the whole of the created order was tottering on the brink as the word that became flesh as was also the word that spoke and brought everything to being on that cross, took upon himself our sins and cried out to God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The very Godhead was all but torn apart so that you and I can be reconciled to our Holy One. And also so that you and I can be reconciled to one another. And that's what Paul is saying here. He is our peace, verse 14. And his purpose is to create one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility, came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. Quoting those verses we quoted from Isaiah 57 at the beginning of the service. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Already in chapter 1, he's been talking about this God, about this Christ, and about what he's done. Remember what he said in his prayer for the church? When he prayed in verse 17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, Lord, that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people, and his incomparable great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is evoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And later on, when he's saying in chapter 2 about how God has rescued us, look what he says in verse 6, and God raised us up with Christ in chapter 2 and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. No wonder the angels, Peter tells us, looks at these things and are filled with awe and wonder. What's he's, what? he's in the business of having a new humanity 
And he wants, in a sense, at the end of time, to parade that humanity, parade us before, before creation, before the angels, and also before those who rebelled against creation. And, 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 and to say, look at this, look at this tremendous thing. Many of us have had children. Or we're on to grandchildren. And we have the baby in our arms. And we want to show off. Isn't it like me? Well, Colin's actually like Elizabeth, but anyway. And Gregor's not here, so. That's what our Heavenly Father wants to do at the end of time, to take you and you and me and that number without number and say, look, look isn't this amazing? This people, this humanity, creation restored, the curse of Eden replaced by the blessing of Zion. And he makes that all possible because he is the one who reconciles us, Jew and Gentile, religious and irreligious, those who were familiar with the things of God and those who couldn't give a hoot. But together, in Christ, in Christ Jesus, he brings us together as his people. And you know, my friends, as the story of the prodigal son tells us, we may have felt that we have wandered far, but look what he says as before we sing. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. You may wander far, but there's nowhere far this side of eternity where the peacemaker can't come and call you and draw you back to himself. Jesus is the hope of the nations. Let's stand and sing this together. And there's another wee word, consequently, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. Now, Paul here is not thinking of us sitting in a church building like this, although he will have at the back of his mind the picture of the temple in Jerusalem. And that spoke of the division that there was. There was the court of the Gentiles, and that was out there. And then there was the court for the Jewish people. Indeed, just not that long ago, a pillar was found with an inscription saying those who are not of the race should not basically go past this point. You weren't allowed, so none of us would have been allowed to go into even the Jewish court, let alone go into the actual temple, let alone go into the, the court and the Holy of Holies and cross through that curtain. We were out there. But because of God's grace, we're in here. Not just this building, but in the church, in this new humanity, in this new project, which is starting here, but is for hereafter. 
the kingdom which is now, but is yet to come. And we're being built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. The apostles of the New Testament, perhaps the prophets of the New Testament church, the prophets of Israel, of the pre-Christ church, in a sense, if you want to say that. With Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone, Peter picks up the very same thing as you come to him in 1 Peter 2. The living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. And you know, my friends, when we gather together on the Lord's Day and at other times, and when we gather together tonight with, with the other members of the church within our community, and when perhaps we go to other events, there'll be concerts on Glasgow, or we go to a Bible conference somewhere else, or when we go on holiday and we visit another congregation of God's people in a part of this country, or even when we go abroad and we go and visit. I, I remember sitting in, the, in a church in Sorrento. Now, the Lord hasn't blessed me with the gift of tongues, nor has he given me the tongue of Italian. So I didn't have a clue as to what was being said, but are you... I you, remember the same in Portugal in Brazil, they're all speaking Portuguese, double Dutch to me, but I you, as the Spirit of God within me, testified what the preacher was saying. I mean, I, I could find the passage, I could do that. And, 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 and as he ministered, and I was sitting with my brothers, completely different language, but we're one in Christ Jesus. How blessed are the ties that bind our hearts in Christian love. And when we meet here together this morning, and we are quite a desperate bunch, fellowship we are, the Holy Spirit is here. I hope you, you can sense His presence. He's here. He comes to fill His people, not just individually. Related to Corinth, He talks about us individually being a temple to the Holy Spirit. But here He's talking about the corporate context, the God, the living God. I mean, can you, I mean really, you know, the God who's created everything. Go out some night when it's dark. And it's a clear night. Look at the stars. The one who flung the stars into space. The breath of God which moved over the waters at the dawn of time. The same spirit which brought Jesus from the dead is the spirit who lives within the lives of his people, of believers, and he lives amongst them as they gather together in the name of Jesus. Which we should read. John Fairfield, again, he's from the Salvation Army. He likes his, we used to like his comment. I think that's one of the things that didn't go down well in Bergetti. He liked them to say hallelujah. I think we should be saying hallelujah. That's amazing. The world can offer nothing like that. And therefore, all more important that as God's people, we live together as a fellowship. Yes, we can have our differences. Of course we do. We're only human. But we have to guard against that which would grieve the Spirit of God because it takes the stones of the building and begins to tear it apart. Think of all that we've done over the years and all we're going to have to do in a few weeks' time in order to keep this building together. That's nothing compared to how the devil would love to pour this place apart spiritually. We need to guard against that. As we build our church in Christ, the cornerstone, as the Bible, the record of what the apostles and prophets have said is, central to who we are and what we're about personally and corporately.
and has allowed the Holy Spirit to do his ministry of building and transforming, of renewing, and of drawing us together as his family. And in him, notice time and again in Ephesians, in him, in Christ, in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. And in our fractured community in Uddingston, and all the tensions and troubles that we know of, yes, you know, they might have fur coats, but no knickers. They might not even bother with a fur coat. In such a community, God wants his church to reveal his son by his spirit. Amen. May it be so. For Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon.